0: Let me go, bull. You go. We go. Definitely one of the best lines of the 1991 blockbuster backdraft. While I normally don't read leadership books, as I prefer biographies and autobiographies instead, I decided I'd check out a leadership book by a 20-year vet in the fire service. The book is leadership refined by fire. The author is John Cuomo, and I'm now calling him the John Maxwell for firefighters and other public safety professionals. I'm Mark Gandy, and this is CFO Bookshelf. My interview with John Cuomo is coming up next.
1: So you punched out a window for ventilation. Was that before or after you noticed you were standing in a lake of gasoline?
0: His name is John Cuomo. Again, the book, Leadership Refined by Fire. Early in my career, I did not have leadership on my mind. I had career advancement on the brain, new technology, cool special projects, the more the better. So how in the world does a firefighter become interested in leadership?
1: Very, very early on in my career. I was hired as a young kid. There's only 21, brand new 21 at the time, and I opened up with this story about finding this object that floated up on the beach. Someone called in, which was not unusual in our town, it was thirteen miles of, of beach. So things we, we got called all throughout my career constantly for things up on the beach. And and the people kind of took it, they were lax about it, because it was always a drum or some other, you know, thing that wasn't really that dangerous. So my officer pulled up and he told me, Go down there and see what it is and let's handle it. So I start running down the beach, meeting another firefighter and uh there's a crowd around there and i get in there i squeeze my way in and I, and it looks like a missile rolled up on the beach and and i just completely went blank i didn't know what to think what to do i was terrified I would this have thing to. was going to explode yeah and and so i kind of got to thinking i called my officer on the radio he thought i was lying and anyway i get into detail about the story in the book but the end result was What taught me is that these individuals saw me walk up with a uniform on. They didn't know I was that the lieutenant. They knew that I was the firefighter that was called 911. I needed to fix the situation. I had no idea how to fix that situation. So that taught me right away that no matter what I get on scene, no matter what my position, the public is looking to me to fix this. They don't know my position in the department. That was first of all. Then secondly, I saw very quickly the actions of some terrible officers and then the actions of of some very good officers. And I thought, wow, these poor firefighters under this terrible officer did, you know, I wouldn't want to go fight a fire with them. This guy doesn't even know his job. You know, he, he's going to lead me into a fire. We we had a training and I believe it's in my book as as well. It was just a training uh, situation. Him and I are up on a second floor going through it's pitch black with smoke. I understand that that's what we train in, but he's terrified. And, and he's, he's, kind of freaking out and I'm trying to calm him down. I'm a new guy. I'm calming the officer down. We don't worry. We got it. This is what we're going on. I know where we're at. You know, I, I remember this, this, and the other thing. And in the entire time I'm calming him down till finally by accident. I was so upset. I wanted to win this. We used to take competition in, in these training things. Who who's going to be the fastest? And of course me and my friends would compete. And um so I'm in there with this guy. He's slow as can be. And Uh, He's he's freaking out, and I'm I'm starting to get irritated and upset at this. And so, I finally find we had to find a a rescue dummy and drag the dummy out. I finally find the dummy. I'm starting to drag it all by myself. He's doing nothing. This thing's 160 pounds. I'm dragging it fully bunkered out in gear, and I I get a chair is in my way, and I'm so aggravated. I pick the chair up and I throw it. Well, lo and behold, I hit him with it because you can't see where anything is, you know. And he that was the final straw for him. He just freaked out. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. So I realized, I said, if I get stuck in a fire with this guy, I'm doomed. He's going to leave me in that fire. I, I went home and told my wife, if something ever happens, you make sure you, you figure out what, what went on. Because this individual's there who don't know how to fight fires. This individual's there that are cowards, that are afraid of it. And so I saw these things, Mark, and I said, you know what? I don't want to be that guy. I want to be a guy that knows what he's doing. And if I'm going to lead a crew, I better start learning all about leadership. And not just the the big parts, which how to fight fire, you know, how to read smoke, how to use the water, all those different things that we have to know, how to use your tools. But also, I wanted to be able to help an individual progress. It, you know, you talk to an individual, and I, I would say, I want to do this, this, and this. And he's sitting there watching a the football game, and he's like, go learn it yourself. I no, I didn't want that. I wanted to make the fire department excel. I wanted them to be so proud of what they did that when we showed up on scene, people could see that. And they wanted to be a part of us. They wanted us to help them. And so I, I saw the, the the pros and cons of good and bad officers. And I said to myself, okay, I want to be a great leader. And that's when I began early on in my career, starting to study leadership, how it works, how to make others excel, and and, and also starting with myself.
0: I don't think I'm alone in this view of firefighters. I hold people up like you and I, and I think you are retired from firefighting but yes, I sir. I put you guys up on a pedestal and I think post 911 that pedestal got even taller in our mm-hmm. minds years ago I'm not going to give away my age but years ago I went to school with a guy named Eric Eric started out as a chemistry major He decided that's too hard, became an art major, uh, moves to Kansas City, gets married. And he worked in a frame shop, and he hated that. And he thought, you know what, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a firefighter. He does all the certifications, all the classes he has to do for the Kansas City Fire Protection District, whatever it's called. And it took him two years to get on. And when I eventually talked to Eric after he got on, I said, Eric, why did it take two years? He said, Mark, it's because you either die or re- you retire. That's how you have turnover in a fire yeah. department in a big city. You either die, which isn't, it's rare, and then you retire. Is that really the way it is, you think, universally across the nation?
1: When I was in, uh, I had never thought about being a firefighter growing up. Um, I got, a, I didn't really have much guidance and I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted a family. So when I was in high school, I started working in construction here in Florida. I did, I was working for an electrical company and then we got a bit of a recession and that caused us to whittle way down. And then we were only working four days a week. So I realized I needed a better job with some benefits, something that was going to be stable, something that was going to have insurance. I want the children, things like that. So I, I put my application in the post office, the phone company, uh, the electric company, the fire department, all the different places that were government jobs. And what I did is I would ask them all when I bumped into them, how do you like your job? What do you think of your job? How do you like it? I'm, I'm interested. Every person hated their job. Everyone said, Don't become a post person. Don't get into the phone company. Don't do the elect- this. except. firefighters every firefighter i asked how do you like your job i love my job i love my job i love what i do so yes the answer to your 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 question i believe is yes and that's what made me go for the fire department because i told my girlfriend at the time who i'm now married to um i said to her you know what every time i ask a firefighter they love their job there must be something to this job i'm going to try this job out now when i went to the fire academy because before you can get hired by the fire department here in Florida, you have to go get your certifications on your own. And so I had to go to the fire academy on my own and EMT school. When I went to the fire academy, I finally understood what they felt. I fell in love with the fire service. I And I will never lose that love. It is taking care of other individuals and helping people. Yes, there's other things like the camaraderie, the brotherhood, the family atmosphere you have in the fire department and things like that. But to me, Caring for the public and taking care of them, is nothing better than that in the world. And so my answer to you is yes, I think that's everywhere. I think every everywhere in the United States, at least, of America, probably the world.
0: I, I would rather John Maxwell be interviewing you. He would nail it. But you are a lifelong learner. I would say that anyone who is aspiring to be a leader or to keep growing in their leadership, it starts with, Lifelong learning, which then means reading is going to be critical. Please expand on that.
1: Yeah, I I definitely agree with you. It's it's essential. You cannot uh, lead um, others without lifelong learning because, first of all, leading starts with leading yourself. If you cannot lead yourself, nobody's going to look to you and say, I want to follow this individual. And the way you best way you lead yourself is to attain as much knowledge as you possibly can, to hone in on the skills that are necessary for you yourself to do the job. and also to when you're doing reading and studying, the, the best way to do it, as you you just said, you go into a chapter and then you reflect on it. The best thing you could do is use a book as a mirror, to look at yourself. So especially in those type of books. So you read something of a self-help sort of thing or a leadership. And you say, okay, where are my deficiencies here? Okay, I seem to have this piece. I'm doing pretty well here. But this piece right here, I'm deficient on. When you use a book as a mirror to examine yourself and you see your deficiencies, then you're able to work on your deficiencies. You're able to conquer them. You're able to do, to do something uh, to get you over the hill in those areas. When you do that, others around, you see that happening. They see this 21-year-old kid. There's a lot of people start very young in the fire service. But regardless if you're that young, they see this new person, this probationer. Even if it's in business, they see this new person come in. And everyone gets to know the person a little bit. And they kind of figure them out a little bit. But when they see you growing and they see you changing, they see you taking the responsibilities, they see your seriousness about it. And all of a sudden, you have people coming to you asking you for help. How How do you use this tool? How does this work? What would you say to your officer if they said this to you, you know? That's the things that begin to to have people grow towards you. And then when you step up into that position, they're already seeing you and viewing you as an individual who has these leadership skills. Now, like anything else, as you brought out, if you don't continue to grow, you're just going to stay stagnant. Because I could tell you, I know business is the same way, but the fire service never stops changing. You know, so yes, I agree with you. You have to continue reading and studying.
0: I love the movie, Back to Rap. The, the soundtrack, I believe it was Hans Zimmer. Incredible. And when they show scenes where they're in the firehouse, uh, eating, watching TV, I never see someone reading a book. And I don't know how prevalent that is, but what if a firefighter says, I don't have time to read? What, what, what's your quick answer to them? What's your...
1: Short response. I don't have time to read, John. My answer will be, let me, fi- let me sh- shadow you for 24 hours while you're there. You can and find- I'll show you all kinds of hours that you have. You know, when, when Facebook first started in MySpace, first started these these uh, social media things, you would see these guys all day on the computer, text messaging girls here, there, there, this place, the other place, you know, all day long. This And I would say to them, what are you doing? I mean, take an hour out and study the procedures, you know, take some time out, uh, or they'll sit and watch TV. And and I mean, no disrespect to any firefighter that, you know, There's we need our downtime. There's no doubt about that. So sometimes you have tough calls and things like that, and you come back to the station, and you know what, you just need to absorb what just happened, and you need some downtime. But there's certainly so much time that is available. Mark, I used to bring in things... You know, I talk about in the book how I became the pension representative. I knew nothing about how the pension world worked. And I had to learn this massive, massive thing about uh, managing money and how the whole system works. On top of that, I learned all kinds of other things while I was there. So there's definitely time. If, If you're telling me you don't have time, I say to you, write down everything you're doing during the day and watch how much time, how much time you've read. I mean, watch t v you know football or games or on the computer with your social media and things like that, and in no disrespectful way for your own sake, write it down and see how much time and you know start off small, give yourself twenty minutes to read say i'm gonna today I'm gonna take twenty minutes and I'm gonna read for twenty minutes, and then do it every day for a week. You know why you actually begin to have a love and desire to read more. It's just like working out if you ever see somebody they can't stand working out in the beginning, but once they start working out regularly and they see some. Uh, they feel the effects and they see some different, then they want to constantly do it. Great. I tell you the same thing great. with reading, do that with reading and then you'll continue want to do it over and over again.
0: Great, great, great point. By the way, put a pin in that pension story. It's one of my favorite stories. That story is so good, John. I've already written a blog post about your pension okay. store. I haven't shared okay. it with you yet. I will <laughs> uh, hear Shirley. It is outstanding. Uh, in this, this discussion about lifelong learning, I highlighted, and then I went to watch it, the Anthony Joshua story. I'm not going to steal your thunder, but what's, what are the two big words that he brings up in an interview with, with a reporter?
1: In the, in the fire service, training is a, is a constant thing, and there are a lot of individuals that get to a point where they hate it. It's kind of strange. Like they'll kill themselves in the fire academy and they'll get in and probation and they'll be out working like crazy. Then, as soon as they get off probation, there'll be individuals like, Oh, I don't want to train again today. You know, and training is difficult, it's not easy. South Florida, we get out here, it's 98 degrees, and you're bunkered out, you're soaking wet with sweat. You know, you got 50, 60 pounds you're dragging with you, then you're pulling a hose full of water, which is hundreds of pounds. It's not easy, but the training is essential. And and I loved what I read when I saw Anthony Joshua say that. You know, here's a world champion. The guy looks like Adonis. He's unbelievable. He I mean, there's no fat on this guy's body. He's like uh, all muscle. And he says, Ah, you know, the 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 I'm not even I'm half asleep when I'm in the in the ring fighting. He says, you know, I that's not the heart, but the hard part was the training. He says, That's the part. when, when you know you're good, you don't have to worry. But he reflected on the hard part being the training, which I thought was interesting. Usan Bolt, there's an interview from yeah. him. He also said the same yes. thing. He says the competition is the easy part. That was his words. The competition is the easy part. And and the, the interviewer is like, what do you mean? Because it's the training every single day, pushing exactly. yourself every day. That's the hard part. And Mike Tyson said a similar thing in his book, Undisputed. Uh, I think his name is. Undisputed is the name of his book. But in his book, he said the same thing, that the training was the hardest part, going in day in and day out and training at that level.
0: Tell me about the pension story. It's one of my favorites for multiple reasons. We'll be
1: right back. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. I, I had always been interested in, in stock in stocks ever since I was a young kid. Um, followed the stock market. And when I got hired at the fire department, guys knew that, guys knew I, I, you know, bought and sold stocks and I would talk to them a little bit about stocks. So when the pension position came up, a lot of younger guys wanted me to get in there. They said, well, you know about stocks, why don't you get in there? Now, understand, I was just a firefighter at the time. So we had lieutenants, captains, uh, chiefs, all these above me in this position, were viewed much more with authority than, than I was, obviously, by, the, by others. And so these people are voting for somebody to take care of their money, their future, the future of them and their children, their, their wives and husbands and you know, and their kids. And so this is a responsible position. This is not somebody you just vote somebody into. OK, he knows stocks. So on the first vote, it was almost even I won by one vote. That's all I won by one single vote. And I became pension rep. So now I get into the job, Mark. <laughs> And I'll tell you why trading stocks was like the littlest part of everything. There's so many different parts to managing a pension that you have to deal with. All the different agencies that you have to understand how they work and all the things that they do. I remember going to a conference and the first time I went, I would I stopped at every single booth that was there for every single vendor and asked them, what is it that you do? what do you do for the pension how does that work with me how do i you know interact with you and i never stopped reading and studying that so after a little bit of time that was my number one after a little bit of time people started hey you know he knows what he's doing here i started making some changes in the pension i started digging into it i started writing uh, like excerpts, uh, emails and uh, newsletters for the rest of the fire department for them to understand these are the things that you have. This is what we're going for. Is there anything you're interested in? I changed that pension from a third rate pension to the to the first class, number one in the state of Florida. I, I, I had pension rep- representatives calling me from all over. That's your number three, asking me. And when I, every two years I had to be revoted. After that first year, there was never a competition ever since then. I would have one person run against me. And I think I expounded on the book. Someone would write anyone but John Cuomo or something, you know, someone who didn't like me for some reason. But other than that, 99% of the department was voting for me now.
0: You're being very humble because (laughs) of all the stories in this book, this is my favorite where you're being humble is when you stepped into the job. I, I think I, if I read this correctly, the, fire protection district or the city municipality or the county, they were putting in 2.25% of your paycheck into this pension. So by the time you get done with all of your learning, all, I mean, a lot of learning, and I I don't think we can underscore what you did, but we went from 2.25 to 3.5. John, you had a huge impact on families, Uh, not just these firefighters, but spouses,
1: kids. Uh, That's a big deal. So I just... I was going to say, my wife told me to leave that story out of the book because she's like, don't put that story in because it makes it sound like you have it too good. You know, because uh, the pension actually, literally when we got to three and a half, I was able to negotiate it backwards. So... Any individual that started 20, 25 years prior, they got the full three and a half percent. So every year of service counted for three and a half percent of their pay. So they were leaving with 87 and percent of their pay now, whereas before they were leaving with 50, 60, 70 percent. So it was huge. Yeah, it was huge. And um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the timing. Uh, I feel blessed. I thank you for your, your your compliment on that. I don't want to take the credit. Um, but, uh, it definitely made a massive impact in people's lives. I, when I look at the, the change in their pay scale. And you know what? you mentioned nine eleven earlier, um, where the value uh, people got to see, well, another thing that happened in nine eleven is as you said, people became more astute to their local firefighters, Well, their pay also went up. You know, I saw a huge difference in pay after nine <laughs> excuse me, after nine eleven in the fire service. And so when you match that with now your pension, it really makes a big difference. because when you're talking about almost 90 percent of a pension that's you know probably doubled you know over the course of a career, um, that's significant. So I, I'm grateful and I'm, I'm grateful I was able to serve my brothers and sisters that way and help them and their families.
0: Another story I loved in the book. yeah, there's 9/11. there's also the era of 2008 nine, and even 10. I think the fire district you're working in, more work, uh, less money put in for retirement. I think maybe there is a switch to a 401k plan. So I think the probably for all fire protection districts around the United States and probably globally, maybe, it got tough, it got tight, and could have been very demoralizing. But you've got a very interesting story of the post 2008 era. Do you remember that uh, from the book?
1: Yes, yeah. It, it was a very tough time, Mark. Very, very tough. Because you had a, a one two punch going on in, in a firefighter's life. You had that they, they not only were affected by this 2008 drop, you know, people were losing their jobs. So they had mates, family members that were losing their jobs. Pay was going down, houses uh going down to prices and, and firefighters have their hands in a lot of things so may them they may have had second or third houses that they were losing money on stocks were getting killed so they were watching their pension get you know killed and maybe their own personal investments but then on top of that the bigger part was the city our city decided and i worked for a very very wealthy city extremely wealthy city um and they decided that they were going to make a push to change pensions of firefighters and police officers around the country. Now, you might say, well, how could this one little city do that? Well, the influence in this one city is massive. I mean, these are people, uh, our past president was lives there, you know, uh, senators. I mean, this is a, is a city of humongous wealth and influence. And so they started with our city and they took away our pension, they took away all our benefits, they took away sick time, they took away, we used to have something called the Kelly Day that um, allowed us to change our work schedules instead of 56 weeks, it brought it down to 48 hours, sorry, 56 hour a week to 48 hour a week. They took that away completely, it was gone. So now you had no Kelly Day off, you work at 56 hours, but what they did was they adjusted our pay so that we didn't get paid anymore. We started working eight more hours a week, but we weren't getting paid anymore. And so we took pay cuts. We went eight years without a pay raise. Uh, we lost our pension to a 401K. Eight um, years. It's just, yeah, it was terrible. And so individuals, you, you weren't allowed to call in sick. If you called in sick, they, they held it against you. You couldn't promote. It, there was so many things, Mark. We weren't allowed to go to Publix, uh, the local grocery store anymore. We couldn't do anything. But the worst part about it is the administration part of the fire department didn't experience any of those cuts. They got, they kept everything the way it was. They kept their pension. They kept all their benefits. Here we were, the firefighters, we were like, you know, we're doing all the hard work here and we're getting cut. Why is this happening to us? So what that did was that created tremendous low morale. Tremendous. Guys started leaving like crazy. They started tr- applying for other departments. That made it worse because we're a small town and you can't just go tomorrow and hire a new firefighter. You right. have to put a, a test out there and it takes a long time. So now we were running lower on people. People were being forced to work overtime. So now you're already working 56 hours a week and then they're throwing extra 24-hour shifts on you constantly. You you would wake up in the morning and try to leave and over and over again they say you can't leave today because there's no one here to take your spot. You have to stay another 24 hours and work. And it was really dragging on people and they were upset that the town residents didn't come to their back and defend them. Because I have to say that department always took care of the residents. And so I would come in and there were guys saying, I'm not going to do my work. I'm not going to do my duties anymore. I'm not going to work hard. I'm not going to show up on the scene and do a good job. And as an officer I said, I'm sorry, we can't do that. That's not what we do. You took this job because of the pride of being a firefighter. Yes, I agree with you. It's Betrayal—it—it it, it hurt. It's hurtful what they're doing to us. But you have to understand—you are here to serve people. That—that's what you're getting paid for. You have one or two questions, one or two things you could do. You could still either work really hard, or find a job in another place. That's the only other answer. So I told the individuals with me, "Listen, I'm with you. I'm as upset as you are. This is—it's destroying." It's destroying my department that I love so much, destroying the job that I love so much. But don't let it destroy you personally as a person. Come here with a smile on your face and give the best service you can. And if you can't, I fully understand if you feel like you need to go to another department. Because, Mark, right across the water, you know, all these other cities around us, they're all still paying Kelly Day's. They're all still paying pensions. They're all still paying all these other benefits. We're the only ones not getting this thing. So I fully understand. And I said to these individuals, if you got to go, I, fu- I back you. I understand. But if you're here, you need to give it everything you got. You need to come here with a smile on your face and try and work as a family. We'll be together. We'll make the day go through and we'll do a good job. And you'll be happy about what you do. when you When you handle Mrs. Customer right here, and her life has gone down a drain and you save it and you do something for her and you see a smile on her face, that's going to be the reward you'll get.
0: One of the best chapters, all these chapters are great. One of the best chapters is about uh, PTSD. Now, people in my field who work in an office almost all day, we don't have to deal with this. However, I am on my second F-150, and the reason I started driving my first F-150 was because I used to drive a, a Volkswagen Jetta. Probably the best car I've ever had. Even with my two F-150s that are fully loaded, the Jetta is one of the best cars I ever had. It was fully loaded. Love that car. The reason I went to my first F-150 was because someone ran into me in uh, a neighborhood of Columbia, Missouri, He was driving 35 miles per hour because that's what the policeman said. He ran into me and pushed me under a school bus. And when I got out of my Jetta, there was about three feet between me and the bumper of that school bus. And you may see where I'm going with this. For several months, I would wake up and I'd see that replaying over and over again. And it still comes to me every once in a while. And I just think that's not real, Mark. And if someone wants to ask me, why do you have a second F-150? Because of obsolescence? No, because about three years ago, I was driving 65 miles per hour in rural Missouri the day before Christmas, and there is a bouncing tire jack. I'm going 60 plus miles an hour And my truck hits that 110-pound tire jack. It hits the window of my traveling vehicle. I am still here to talk about it. Totaled the vehicle. Uh, I did not get hit from behind in a second accident. And by the way, I still have visions of it periodically. So in your chapter on PTSD, you go through the symptoms and... I only have one of them, not all of them. So my opinion, and by the way, this is a great chapter and nothing to to laugh about. I also think you're maybe writing a book about PTSD. I would say the biggest issue with that is people who have the symptoms, but they don't get help.
1: Is that right it's funny, Mark, about your truck because if you if you go into most firefighters around here, they all drive these massive pickup trucks and trucks. And I and I have always said, I've always swore it's because they see car accidents. You know, they they, they go, okay, I'm not getting involved. I'm I'm going to be in a big truck. I've always swore that that's what the case was. But yeah, you know, Mark, it's a it's it's nice to see that attention has been drawn to the military that there's some some. Uh, studies going on now and there's some attention going to the ptsd that's happening in the military and i'd love to see that continue over to both the police department fire department nurses dispatchers things like that because without that education and understanding it does people will go past that and um you know i talk about a story my, my very first experience with it is a uh, an officer uh, on a, a call where we had a baby that drowned and um, he yeah. had a young child. And that's one of the big mm-hmm. things is that firefighters will look at their own kids when they see it. Ch- children calls are very difficult. Very, I still can't talk about certain calls that I've had, uh, especially the ones with children. Cause as soon as I do, I start getting choked up, you know, and emotional and I can't, and I can't deal with that. Um, and so I think the biggest thing is not, like you said, not getting that, Help right away! Um, we didn't even understand it. We had no idea. We this this individual was a lieutenant. He had a difficult time on this call, and you know what he got? He got the macho fire department. Suck it up, suck it up. Be a man. And you that's, can't handle that's, it? You're in the wrong career. So,
0: that's so destructive, isn't it?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, it yeah, it really is. And that's how it, when we were talking earlier about the changing of learning. You know, as you continue to learn, you, you change. That's one of the things, PTSD and the fire service. It's finally starting now. That People are finally starting to look at it. But back then, it was not handled well. So here was an opportunity to start learning and, and digging into that. And even I was a young guy, and I thought the same thing. I was like, man, he can't handle that. What's wrong with him? This is the fire service. This is what we do. There's no doubt in a career of 20, 25, 30 years of car accidents, medical issues, uh, things, fires. And, and by the way, Firefighters around the country have stated that medical incidents are actually where they get more trauma from than even the fire incidents. And that's understandable because we don't fight as many fires with people in them anymore. And and you do have a lot of medical. Another one I can't take, Marcus, is I had an older community. And so I handled more CPR, more, more cardiac arrest than any of my friends in all the cities around me. And after a while I couldn't do it. Mark, I would call my wife on the phone and I just I wouldn't just want to hear her voice when we were done. Because I just helped this individual who lost their their mate of 50 years, 60 years, and they're grabbing on my clients and they go, What am I gonna do? I've been with them all my life. Please save them, help them. And then I gotta go over there and tell them, I'm sorry, we did everything we could do, and then watch them curl up in a ball, break down and cry like their life just ended. You know, I couldn't handle it after a while. I, I'd, I'd leave those scenes. I'd call my wife and I'd just say, honey, I can't talk. I just need to hear you talk, you know, because, sorry, <laughs> again, I get I, I talk about certain of these things and the emotions start coming up still. And um, But yeah, Mark, it, it's something that um, we have to do a better education on.
0: Hey, we're short on time. I want to have a quick lightning round. Reference groups and positivity. And I loved... Now, it's, it's, it's one paragraph, but it's in the book, in this section by David McClellan, who is the one who uses that term reference groups. What is that? Why is it important? Reference groups and positivity.
1: We mentioned that statement of birds of a feather flock together, and it's a kind of a cliche and it's easy to be taken care of. But basically, who you surround yourself with will have a massive effect on who you are, who you become. So McLennan references this reference group and they did studies and they showed that who you surrounded yourself with, even as an early age, ended up changing what your outcome was down the line in your future adulthood. That is one of the most powerful studies I've ever read in my entire life. If that doesn't shake someone to the core right now, whoever's listening to say to themselves, I need to examine who I'm associating with because they will either bring you up to the next level or bring you down. There is no doubt. This is a study. This is proven now.
0: And I was going to say, I've been around a lot of warehouses in my career, uh, manufacturing. And one of the best things a leadership group can do on the plant floor uh, distribution center uh, area is make sure that whole area stays positive. There's nothing more destructive than you get 10, 15, 20 employees. It all becomes negative. And then all of a sudden, you've got a terrible culture. And why is that? But to me, you just, this is not a cliche. We're talking science, as you just uh, referenced. Uh, One other, and I have three traits that I love in any leader. Decisiveness, authenticity, and humility. Those are my big three, probably going back 20 plus years. So you hit on humility quite a bit, and you have a story. You know, it's brief. You mentioned Chris Kyle, who is a sniper. Would you mind sharing the, his quote again? This is a sniper. This is a guy who he takes people out,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. what's what's he? sniper in history, right? And what's he
0: say about his favorite type of leader?
1: Yes. Yeah, so Chris said that he's had good leaders and he's had great leaders and the great ones were humble. Now, I specifically ask in the book, can you personally feel like you can lead a man like Chris Kyle, an individual who is a sniper like that? Could you take him into battle and be his leader that he would look up to? If you weren't humble, you could not be that person because that's what he was looking for. He said those leaders were humble. And you know who else said that, uh, Mark? David Goggins, who your audience might know, uh, Navy SEAL, Ranger—I mean, the guy is unbelievable. He pointed out that his greatest officers were humble. Uh, Another one your your audience might know, Dick Winters from uh, the Band of um, Brothers—pointed out by all of his men, he was a humble individual. These are individuals that hardcore. I mean, these are any one of these guys. I would love to be around and and get stuff from. But what they needed was they needed a leader that was humble for them to follow. So a very, very important quality.
0: We unfortunately need to wrap up. I want to give you the chance. What are you doing these days?
1: So I'm uh, talking about this book and trying to promote it in the fire service and even in business circles, you know, and I'd love to communicate with people. So if anyone is out there and they they hear this and they get the book and they want to have any conversation, you know, my website is uh, www.fdleadership.com dot com, as in fire department Um, feel free to reach out. Uh, I'd love to come to your department and talk if that's what you're interested in. And I'm also uh, working on a, um, a book about PTSD. So now, as you brought out, I covered that in my book. But where I kind of covered it was, right, I, I, I put a chapter, I kind of covered it as you, the leader, looking out for yourself, and then your crew and making sure these things. This book is more about for the emergency services, police, fire, nurses, dispatchers, things like that, that they can read or could be read. I, what I'd love to see, I'd love to see a copy in every firehouse where they can open it up once a year, go over the symptoms, look at the different things that they, that are, are, are possibilities, why this is so important to go over. these? There is some symptoms and these are some areas that are ways that we can work to, to help you alleviate. Because in your career, if you could start cutting that off early on in the career, then it doesn't uh, build up. You know, there's no accretion value there. You just cut it out very early. And so I'm working on that book right now and I'm kind of working with a local um, congressman to see if we could do something with the law. But I don't know, that's down the line. We'll see in reference to help with the PTSD. But that's the next big thing I'm working on is a book on PTSD for emergency services.
0: Is it a difficult answer if I were to ask what are some of the best books you've ever read?
1: I love helping other people, so one of my favorite books is the autobiography on uh, Martin Luther King. If you haven't had a chance to read that, please get that book. I, I get I give it as a gift to people all the time. You know, I buy a bunch and then I slowly give them out. I absolutely love that book. I, as a man I want to emulate as much as I can. JFK, RFK, other ones just like that. I, I really enjoy them. They're some of my favorite people. Uh, if I could say idol, maybe. You know, um, I would say that I love them. So I, I like that. Um, then when I want to stop and think about how good I got it, you know, uh, the Gulag Archipelago was a good book, you know, um, or the one by uh, Yomi Park, uh, the, the North Korean girl that left North Korea. So sometimes I'll read books like that to just help me. Uh, okay, John, life is good. Stop complaining about whatever you're complaining about, you know. Um, so some of those, I just read Lords of Finance. I don't know if you've read that yes, one. Fantastic book, you know. And then every so often I'll take a break from constantly working on myself. I'll read something like uh, The Godfather I just read, you know. Something easy. Like, you know, you could just go to sleep at night and read. Well, even, even, really that...
0: even for that type of fiction, that's not necessarily easy. I mean, there's... That's sophisticated fiction writing.
1: I mean, yeah. that, that, some of that's, but pretty... you know, what's cool about that is that you could dig into the writing. You can. What an excellent job. I mean, the, the, the portrayal of the characters, you know, and stuff just did a fantastic job. So he really gets you involved in the book. I wish I could write like that, you know, um, I hope one day, after maybe fifty years of writing, I can come even close. We'll see. <laughs> but uh...
0: your book is leadership refined by fire. This is just—I I thank you. I, I admire you. I, yes, you're on one of my uh, pedestals, but I admire and appreciate you as a as a human being, and I appreciate the way you're having an impact on other people. And, and again, your your love of lifelong learning, it is and continues an impact. Other people.
1: Well, thank you, Mark. I really appreciate. it. I really enjoyed getting to know you as a person. I love your show. I love what you do in your show, and uh, I think it's a great job. And I, I, really, I hope I get to stay friends with you. I really do. I uh, really enjoyed this. You are listening to CFO
0: Bookshelf: Lifelong Learning for Financial Leaders. And now back to our host mark Gandhi, the name of the book leadership refined by fire the author john cuomo the best way to read the book well again that's that's opinion but i do one chapter a day or maybe one every other day and then take notes of the most important points and then try to internalize those big ideas as you learn them guys we need to call this a wrap i'm mark gandy for cfo bookshelf